you're listening to The Tactical Kitchen. I'm Melody Behrens, certified chef and nutritional therapy practitioner. And I'm Steve Behrens, 21-year special operations veteran and certified personal trainer. Together, we are here to share our experience on the ketogenic lifestyle. Don't forget our disclaimer. This podcast is for general information only and should not be considered a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. We're not doctors, and we don't play them on the internet. Now, let's get ready to chew the fat. Mmm, bacon. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Totally Tubular Tactical Kitchen Show. Oh, I was checking the settings on the sound. I totally <laughs> forgot we started just now. But yeah, it's episode 83, and I'm here. Yeah, we made it. I showed up. <laughs> From the kitchen to the desk. Hey, I made it after a run this morning, and I'm going to just say a run, not a long run. It was a short, sad run. Sometimes they are short and sad, and that's just the way it is. I know, and it's been like we were looking back today over some of our journaling and seeing where we stopped running, and I was noticing that mine was like in December, and then, you know, if you've been listening, you guys know I had the pneumonia thing. And I can see the exact day I quit <laughs> with, like, my last run. It was, like, the very last one. And then everything fell apart. And today was my first time to do a run since uh, December 19th. This happens. Much. We were talking about that this morning, how this happens. Kind of every year you have that, you know, you, you do really good in the summer and activity is high and you carry that to end of the fall and then somewhere around November, probably around Thanksgiving is where everything yeah. kind of just starts to go a little bit down. And I think we do better this year, continue it into like into mid-December being pretty active, but. Well, the weather wasn't ever really bad, which was one good thing. And mm-hmm. usually it's the weather that knocks us out um, sometimes and sometimes laziness. I don't know. But, you know, now we've started back in November, I mean, in not November, in February, which normally we don't even start running again until maybe late spring, early summer. Well, again, uh, we talked about the importance of journaling. It's great. I mean, last year was really the first year where I journaled pretty much every workout. For you had day. a cool journal. I that's cool, why. A cool journal. And, and that's one of my one of my wins from last year is I did that. Um, so now I can look back and be, all right, this is what I did this week, this year. I can go back to last year and be like, what was I doing? And although I'm not real excited about what I've been doing up to this point, like I don't feel like I'm making huge accomplishments, last year was even worse. Yeah. So, so I can look back and go, hey, I'm better than last year. Well, you know what we noticed is that you started running after we took out dairy last year. And your joints really improved. And that was a big catalyst for being able to run a lot again. And we got into the where we were hitting the six-mile Mondays, six-and-a-half-mile well, Mondays. That's why I wasn't running last year at this time was because my knee – I had a lot of problems. I've got knee pain, knee rehab written down. Uh, I went and saw the orthopedic guy, so I was thinking about getting a, a knee replacement. And that's why most of last year everything was, was easy bikes or just stretching or – just a short jog. Nothing was ever very long. So, so for me, it, it's a positive thing to be able to look back a year ago and, and understand that I was struggling last year. Where I'm, I'm not struggling as much this year. Right. I mean, I was struggling this morning because my run was only a little over two miles, and it was slow like a turtle. It was very sad, <laughs> but it felt so good. I say it was sad. It's sad because when you quit 
and you know, when you quit and you're at like the six and seven miles and fixing to hit that eight mile marker on your long runs, and then you go back and you start over, it's like, it is exactly starting over. It is. And you get out for that first one and you're like, you feel like you're going and you look down and you're like, I'm in a 12, 10 pace. <laughs> <laughs> I'm basically not moving. I mean, you know, you're right. And I hate starting over. And I, you know, I used to run, my standard was seven minute miles. That's what we ran forever. And I, I held that for a pretty long time, up until about 40 ish. And then, you know, I run now and it's funny because when you start doing rate of perceived effort, like how hard you're pushing, I feel like I'm running a seven minute mile and it's more like a nine minute mile. <laughs> well, I will say that I never really gave out as far as cardiovascularly today and my legs felt really strong. Uh, most of it is just like, I didn't want to go past a point on the first run back, you know, and, and get sore for the whole week coming up first workout of the week. I just don't want to like go crazy um, because we are lifting this afternoon but I wanted to get out there and do it. And I noticed I felt pretty strong. The big thing was my pace, my pacing. And anybody who runs know that pacing is an art, man. It is a, it is an art to get your pace down. I was all over the map. <laughs> I mean, I was like 10, 10, you know, 11, 15, 12, 20, 10.05. I mean, my pace was all over the place and I couldn't get that rhythm mm -hmm. yet. It's almost like uh, choreography when you're running. Yeah. Getting that breathing and pace and stride and everything kind of, kind of locked in to where, you know, how fast you're running. And, you know, we've talked about this before building, you know, I build run programs for people and, and what we're doing now is you got to have, you start with those, that base, that endurance, you start with, you know, incorporating the long runs and that, that's where your program starts. So that's kind of what we're doing now is getting out there, not pushing the pace as far as trying to go fast, just getting out there and, and getting the time on your feet. If you're a runner, you totally understand what we're talking about. Right. And speaking of runners, um, I do want to give a shout out today to Alberto. Alberto. The, yeah. The, it, he goes on Instagram. On Instagram, he's uh, the Keto Cholo. And he did his first half marathon in Austin this weekend, and he, he said on um, a message on Instagram that he used our tips and techniques and stuff that he heard on the podcast, and I was like, oh, I can't remember what it was. I wish I knew. I wish I knew what we said because I would totally use it in my run today. <laughs> but congratulations to yeah. him. Yeah, he did great, and he only was funny is he only trained for a couple weeks, like. I think it was two really? weeks. Yeah. And well, he trains all the time. Uh, you know, he lifts a lot and he's always uh, experimenting with his, his fitness and stuff. And he's decided, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to do this. And I didn't see that part. I, man, hats just, off to him. He just went out and did it. He's one of the, I'm just going to go do it. Our keto cholo bandana off to you. <laughs> yeah. So that's great. Yeah. Um, that's so awesome. And I really, I thought that was cool that he said that he, you know, got some tips and everything about running and used what he heard here. And then I was thinking, man, I really need to go back through our podcast and hear what you said because I needed it today. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's kind of one of those things where we're, we are aging. We were just talking about this. Even though we want don't want to age and we deny that we're aging, we are aging and, and things change. And um, one of the things that we were talking about this week was, was type 2 muscle fibers. So type two muscle fibers and how as you age, they start to get smaller. 
you lose you lose them, right? You just don't have the as as many type two muscle fibers. Well, they, they, well, from the research I said, they said they just get smaller. Now, whether they get it's, smaller. Whether it's smaller meant they're smaller amount or smaller in size, I would have to go back and look. Um, don't quote me on that, but you know, everybody knows what I'm talking about because you lose that type two muscle fibers are your explosive muscles. Right. So just try to jump. Just try. So <laughs> trying to jump. But one of the things that's interesting is, you know, we talk about diet and how we always talk about young people can do pretty much wherever they want. I'm going to just stop you right here because this actually, I think, you know, was really eye opening to me this week when we talked about this. It was like a light bulb came on and you guys may already have figured this out, but I had not. So this was an aha moment for me. And we're going to talk about some of the things going on with this type two muscle storage and if you don't already know, we kind of hit the over 40 crowd just because that's where we're at. If you're under 40 and you're listening, don't go away, but just understand that a lot of the things that we do say are coming from the more mature. Well, if you're not 40 yet, um, take heed. That's what I'm going to say. <laughs> you need to listen. We're coming from the more mature experience. So, you know, like my background growing up as a kid, I, I played football, I played baseball, I raced motocross. Uh, I did, you know, most athletic things under the sun. You know, I did martial arts, all those things. Now, there are those, all those things build type 2 muscles as a kid. So that goes into your, you know, your 20s. You have all those fibers and they're there. So I was able to run and, you know, do all the things that I did and not, you know, pretty, pretty much eat what I would consider now an unhealthy diet and not gain a lot of weight. And we always say, oh, people who are young just have really fast metabolism. They can eat whatever they want. And this kind of, you know, when we talk about metabolism, we mean how fast you're processing and absorbing your nutrients. So this, this does kind of tie into that. Yeah. Well, one of the, one of the things I see now, because I train young athletes, some of them have a background in sports events. You know, they're, they wrestled or played football or baseball or ran track. And they're usually always leaner and able to make more gains. Uh, but I also have guys that they don't seem to do as well, and they don't have any athletic background. So yeah. they haven't built those type 2 muscle fibers as a child, so they don't have, him, have them as either as big or as many as a young adult, and it's harder for them to make gains. All right. So I know you're all probably wondering, what in the world does this have to do with anything? Yeah, so why are we talking about this? Okay, you're not you're not a young person trying to join the military and be strong. What what this relates to us is as you age and those type two muscle fibers get get smaller or you don't have as many, then that means you that's less glucose or carbohydrates that you can take in. So what it means is in your type two muscle fibers, you store glycogen. Glycogen is the storage form of glucose. Glucose a lot of times gets thrown around with the word carbohydrate. But just FYI, you don't need carbohydrate to have glucose in, in your body. But for, you know, confusion's sake, we're going to try to stick to the term glucose and glycogen and glycolytic activity. And you can throw the word carbohydrate in there if you want. Yeah. So th this goes, just goes back to we always talk about bioindividuality. And so now what you did as a kid, we're going all the way back to your childhood. So if you're... If you're 40 or 50 and you're you're trying to you know get healthier and do certain things, what you did as a child is going to affect you now because the amount of type 2 muscle fibers you have at this time are going to really dictate what your glucose levels need to be. Right. So that means how much glycogen 
so when you eat something, let's say you you you're that you're that person that you could eat whatever you wanted. You were a pasta eater. You ate pizza. You did all the things, all of the old things that we liked doing, <laughs> you know. Um, and all of a sudden, you start gaining weight on that same diet, even you know, maybe at thirty five or whatever. So usually what happens is that your type 2 muscle fiber storage diminishes, which means you can't store as much glycogen, which is the storage form of glucose, which means you have more circulating glucose in the bloodstream, which then, because there's nowhere to store it, guess where it finds storage? It finds its storage in fat cells. Right. So any excess carbohydrate you eat that can't be stored is going to be stored as triglycerides as fat cells. Yes. Same thing if you eat too much fat, it's going to be stored as triglycerides and fat cells. Both of those go to the same spot when they can't be you know, used or stored in a certain way that you're going to be using them. Now, type 1 muscle fibers are all fatty acid use, so they use fatty acid to, to move. Type 1 muscle fibers aren't large. They're, they're skeletal. They're, they're around your bones. They're not something you see. When you see someone with a big bicep and big back and chest, those are all type 2 muscle fibers they've built to be strong. Okay. So if you're a runner, you're using a lot of type 1. De- yeah, depending on the type of run. Now, if you're, right. if you're running 60 meters to 100 meters, you're type 2. Okay, so if you're a sprinter, we're going to make the difference between those sprinters with the big glutes. Yes, and that's why you see that. That's why when you look at a sprinter, if any time you, you look at a, you know, a sprint race, all those people are very muscular. Yeah, you know? they are. And, uh, and, but they're not running far. They're running 100 meters. They almost uh, Someone that trains to a 100-meter race never really runs over 300 or 400 meters ever. So they're explosive. They're explosive. Where if you look at a marathoner, what do they look like? Yeah. They they don't they're not always muscular. Right, not all of them are not muscular, but for the majority of marathoners that you see, you're going to see less muscular um, definition on their body, mm-hmm. uh, less um, a little maybe softer look. Yes, correct. So so and you know and and that's not across the board. There, there's plenty of um, people who do marathons that are very muscular. Kristen. Kristen Rao, Rao, yeah, is one of the ones we know. She's she's uh, maintains very good muscle, you know, uh, definition and also runs. So she, and now the keto those. cholo. And now the keto cholo, right? Yeah. Well, he did a half marathon. That's a still hey. Yeah, half. And you know, and and he didn't train. Okay. Yeah. He just did it. He just. What we, it what, makes me feel like I need to just go do it now. God, <laughs> thanks a lot, Alberto. Well, you can. It just uh, I don't know how Alberto is feeling after like today. <laughs> I did see the did picture of the ice on his knees. So, yeah. so, but you know, it doesn't matter. He did it. But anyway, that's the difference between you know you're looking at, at a sprinter who has a lot of type two uh, muscle fibers and a, a marathon runner who don't doesn't have as many. They're more of a type one base. Right. So, and that's storage. So that sprinter can probably eat more of uh, a heavier carbohydrate diet and use it opposed to the marathoner who really shouldn't. Right. They need and, to be more fat adapted. Correct. And they, they need to be more fat adapted. But what happens to a lot of marathoners is they become diabetic because why? Well, they eat a lot of carbohydrates lot because of carbohydrates. they, they want to, they don't, they don't switch over to the burning the fatty acids. So they've got a constantly glucose. <laughs> load. Every, and, I, and I've said this before on the podcast, I was in that boat. If I did a long, uh, you know, run or a long bike, I had to refuel every 40 to 45 minutes or I would bunk. Well, it was interesting because we went out and had coffee yesterday and right, right when we got there, oh. there was a herd <laughs> 
um, cyclists yeah. that walked in in front of us. Yeah. And they all had their goos and their gels and all their stuff. And they were not eating real or getting things that were super healthy. Um, pretty sugar loaded. And you did mention how it was interesting. Yeah. You know, that and, they kind of had the pudginess. I don't want to be hard on people because uh, I, one, I respect they're out biking on a Sunday. It was a beautiful day to bike. Uh, but I do uh, look at people and think that I can help them because a lot of the people that were biking, uh, this, you know, the men specifically had a little pot belly. Well, and then you see how they're fueling for the run and there's a lot of sugar in yeah, that they fuel. Had, they all had in their little back pockets goos and bars, uh, which I knew they were using to refuel because they needed their carbohydrates. And, uh, you know, I want to educate them, but, you know, I'm not going to approach them in the coffee shop and say, hey, dude. You're fed. No, we were too busy ch- chasing our two grandsons right. around. <laughs> so, yeah. So, so that's just uh, you know things to think about when when as you age, how your diet changes in accordance with how your body changes. Yeah, and I, the reason why this was so eye opening to me is because lately in our workouts, we've been doing a, we've been doing the distance running recently, um, the last couple of months, but we started adding in these more explosive workouts mm-hmm. three times a week, uh, sometimes for me, five times a week, but there's, in addition to the weightlifting, we're doing a hit workout that has some explosive movements like box jumps or jumping lunges or things like that, that are more explosive that I found, you know, were difficult for me at this point. Well, like I could, I could have done that so easily you know, what, 20 years ago? <laughs> right, right, right. 20 years ago? <laughs> well, and that's what you have to think about. And, and the kind of a mistake I made last year, looking back at my program, is not, not putting in enough explosive exercises along with everything else. Because you get stuck in this, I run and maybe once a week I'll do 100-meter sprints if, it, if my legs feel good. But not a lot of other, like you, like you talked about, box jumps, uh, jumping lunges, uh, frog jumps, mm-hmm. um, and also just heavy lifting. Heavy lifting builds those type two muscle fibers, which is uh, oh, it's so awesome. Because on any day, I'd rather lift heavy than do box jumps. But you know, <laughs> that's more fun to me. So knowing that you can build those type two muscle fibers up with either heavy lifts, and when we're talking heavy, we're what would you say? We're talking that three to five rep or one rep max range. Right. You're in that, that two to five, three to five or, or the one rep max. And just, you know, the, the thing when, when, when you lift heavy is that if you're doing two to five, that four and five, you probably should not get it. Yeah. That's heavy. So when we talk about heavy, we're not like, oh, it got a little bit heavy. So I quit. We're talking about like, you can't even get that last rep. We're talking about, and I'm going to be real honest, like for ladies, with the deadlift, you might pee a little. <laughs> or with the squat, you might pee a little. It happens. I, I see power lifters all the time in competition, the female power lifters, and they don't even care, man. They don't even care. They're deadlifting 529 pounds, and they pee, and they're like, whatever. You know, it doesn't matter. It happens. Yeah, you just deal with it. So that's heavy lifting. <laughs> yeah, so that's, how, that's you know, those ways you build those type 2 muscle fibers. So. If you're, if you're starting to age and your diet doesn't feel like it's doing the best for you or you, maybe you start to put on some weight, uh, it's not always um, how much activity. It's the type of activity that you need to focus on. Yeah, this is where the magic happens. Yeah, so if you can incorporate more you know, 
doing the box jumps. Now, if if you're like me, when I do a box jump, I, I jump up, but I step down. I don't jump back down. Right. You know, you see a lot of crossfitters who will jump up and jump back down. Yeah. And it depends on your joints and how you're, you know, what you're working with. <laughs> well, I, I used to do box jumps that way back, you know, 10 years ago. Yeah. I, I don't do that anymore because... Uh, the, the, you know, the cost to benefit analysis there does not work out for me. Right. I understand that. So, so. box jumps, just, you know, all you gotta do is jump up. That's the ex- explosive movement anyway. Well, and let's talk about like when we're talking about people, our age, mm-hmm. like in the 40 age group and over. So maybe this is really unfamiliar territory to someone and explosive movements are just not something that they incorporated ever. Or that they haven't done in a very long time, and maybe you know they're looking at it and going, um, "That's dangerous. I don't know about that." Or my joints hurt. Yeah. Or well, you know, it, it it can be dangerous. I mean, honestly, box jumps can be like very dangerous. <laughs> so that's why you start you start at at a level that's appropriate and comfortable for you, and you build up to it. Right. So if we're looking at someone who's just never started any of this. I, I would say maybe not even a box jump. If you're brand new to it, just a jump in place. Like see how high you can jump and do that several times. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, set a timer and aim for a certain amount of reps in a certain amount of time. Yeah, or just do a, uh, you know, like an air squat, but an air squat with a jump. Yeah. So you're just going to squat and then jump at the top. That's a, a type 2 muscle fiber exercise. Right. And, you know, you can only do so many of those because they really suck. So. Yeah. And then and then when you start getting into the alternating jumping lunges and things like that, then you expose these other things that are <laughs> often um, diminish as we age, which is balance mm-hmm. and coordination. <laughs> right. We just, you know, a couple weeks ago, we started incorporating uh, reverse lunges into a workout. And the first day we did it, I was really uh, unbalanced when I did it. Yeah, you start seeing all those little, and it's those fast twitch muscle fibers and all those tiny muscles that balance us and keep us stable Mm -hmm. that often we don't use, especially if we're just doing like machine weights or some, you know, some basic body weight movements. There's a lot of um, lateral movements and and twisting and turning that we don't do or incorporate a lot of times in our workouts, and it really does start exposing your weaknesses. It, it does, and and you get kind of get complacent, especially you know as we age. You know, I've been working out since I've been alive. It seems like I've never never stopped unless I was injured or, or had had a problem. Um, so, but you get complacent with your programs where you don't build, like you said. Build in some lateral movement exercises. Mm-hmm. Build in some some jumping type of exercises or some explosion type of exercises, and do heavy lifting because you'll do the same thing week after week, and your body gets used to that. Right. And so, what we want to do today is also tie this into something that we talked about last week, mm-hmm. which is sleep disturbance on a carnivore diet, especially when it pertains to women, um, but not discounting that it could happen to a man too. I know, I know that's definitely possible. Um, it just seems that it happens more so to women. I think it's because we go to bed with a lot of things on our mind sometimes. And well, some of the things we talk about sleep disturbances happened to me uh, last year and you started reading them off and there were all the things that happened to me. And I was like, wow, that's, that's hilarious. I know. So here's how it relates. We've talked about type 2 muscle fibers, how as we age, we 
we have a diminishing ability to store glycogen because we have a diminished uh, range of storage in our type 2 muscle fibers. So why does that pertain to a carnivore diet or a keto diet and sleep disturbance? It's really interesting. So hold on to your hat. (laughs) (laughs) So as we age and we diminish in our ability to store glycogen, and then you go on a carnivore diet or a keto diet and you're over 40, and you start exercising these um, uh, processes in your body that maybe you haven't done since you were even a baby because you haven't been in ketosis since you were an infant, Think about that first. This is like you've gone 40 years, let's say, and now you're just trying to get into ketosis and you haven't done this. Your body hasn't done this since you were a child. It's done it, you know, maybe if you fasted a little bit here and there. So now you go to bed, right? And you don't have any any carbohydrates that you're actively ingesting to make glucose in your body. So now you're depending on your liver to make glucose for your bloodstream for the processes that it's needed for, which we know that one of those processes is going to be the development or the um, the production of red blood cells, and we know that your brain does use a little bit of glucose. So you do you do require a little bit, but your body can make that. But now you've demanded that your body make it without you ingesting it. Okay, so you need this amount of glucose. You go to bed. Your liver's a little bit slow at doing this thing, right? So then you go to bed, and normally you could pull some from your muscle glycogen storage. But now you're over 40, or you're at that magic number where you don't have as much glycogen storage to begin with. And the other thing is that when you lay down stressed, and you're going through this whole thing where you start having anxiety about going to sleep, or you're worried about something, your body perceives this as... A crisis, and when your body goes into crisis, it it will um, produce some adrenaline or epinephrine. You can interchange those two words; it's the same thing. So then, what that does is it increases your blood sugar. So it's trying to pull from your glycogen stores and increase your blood sugar because your body thinks that you're in danger. It doesn't know you're just worried about tomorrow's field trip for your kid and that you got the lunch prepared or whatever. So it it, it, it just goes into this crisis mode, and now you've got elevated blood sugar. And here's the other thing. Maybe you came into this way of eating with insulin resistance. So now let's look at this. Maybe you're dealing with insulin resistance and healing that. Now you need more glucose in your body because your body thinks you're in crisis and you don't have muscle glycogen storage because uh, we're at that magic age where we just don't have as much and you haven't been doing those types of activities. We've created a perfect storm. Yeah, so so if if you can't get enough, uh, you know, glucose for that, also your body starts trying to pull, um, you know, fatty acids in to try and make more glucose. Right. So So you're putting a lot of pressure on your liver to do a lot of stuff it's not good at. Right, and that's the whole thing. That your liver's like, hold on, hold on. I'm so busy. <laughs> and you know, this is just one theory of what might be happening. Is this any kind of diagnosis or about anyone? No, it's just a theory of what could be happening if you have had that sleep disturbance. And the other thing is, one other thing that I failed to mention last week is a lot of people have sleep apnea. Mm-hmm. 
When you have sleep apnea and you go to sleep, what happens, right? We all know you stop breathing for a second. Well, what is that telling your body? It's telling your body, we are in danger. And so that creates that adrenaline release, which drives the demand for glucose, which then tries to pull it from your you know, ability to make glucose from gluconeogenesis, from those free fatty, uh, those free amino acids, non-essential amino acids, which is quite a trick for the body. Um, and then you don't have that muscle glycogen storage that it can pull from. Mm-hmm. So now we are in another perfect storm. So big tip for that is just try elevating yourself a little bit when you go to bed to see if you breathe better. If you know that that's, especially if you're the person that falls asleep real easily and then suddenly wakes up and you have a racing heart and you can't go back to sleep, it could mean that you are dealing with a little bit of sleep apnea. Yeah. And that happens. I know to a lot of people it's happened to me uh, where you wake up, whether it be the one o'clock, two o'clock in the morning and you you have a, a, a racing heart. Um, could be that you were having some type of sleep apnea, your body, you know, uh, released some uh, adrenaline and mm-hmm. you just got going and it's really hard to calm down from that. Uh, other issues. And then these are things that, that I've had in the past. Um, and again, I wouldn't, now that I go back and look and, and we talk about the type two muscle fibers and the type of exercise that we're doing, um, you know, um, uh, laying down at the night and having an increased heart rate and having, uh, your heart feels like it's contracting really hard and uh, a higher blood pressure. Those are things that happen to me. And, you know, just like we talked about, there's there's often more than one thing that it could be. It could be, right. you know, electrolyte imbalance. It could be uh, that you, you know, you worked out too hard and you stressed those those type 2 muscle fibers and there's the glycogen is depleted and now your body is asking for it and it doesn't have it. So it releases adrenaline. You know, how do you, how are you going to know all that stuff? Right. And how do you figure it out? Well, it's such a trial and error, right? Because you have to figure out, you have to look back and and see what you did and then try to deduce what maybe happened if you're inclined to do something like that and be a weirdo like us. So <laughs> uh, that's why we write everything down. So I try to write everything down that I do. Uh, and sometimes I'm writing things down and I'm like, shoot, I'm doing a lot of things. That's one of the one of the issues that, uh, that people often have is when something's wrong, they try everything. Right. And and we're no different. Like me, I'm like, well, something's wrong. Maybe I should drink half a bottle of fish oil. I don't know. <laughs> you know. And I'm just just kidding. But that's what we start doing. Maybe I'll take this vitamin and this supplement and take this fish oil, and then I'll meditate and I'll do this, and then you don't know what helped or what hurt. Mm-hmm. And, and that's why it's important to journal is to you know write down what you did to to mediate whatever issue you were having and, and try to be smart about it. You know, try and maybe try one thing at a time, uh, for a couple days to see how it changes. Um, there's so many different variables, uh, that it could be, again, this isn't, it's, it's not going to be the problem solving for, for everybody out there, but there might be one person listening that this might resonate with. Right. And, you know, I think the big takeaway is that, as we age, a lot of things start happening to our body. What, no matter what diet you're on, just, we talked about this. Was it the, is it the chicken or the egg? Like, do top two muscle fibers decrease because of age or because we don't use them? Like, which one came came first? And that's one of those things that I don't really know. I mean, I think you said that you thought. Well, just because as we age, pretty much everything kind of diminishes. <laughs> it would make sense, like our stomach acid 
you know, becomes a little more alkaline and we have to, you know, watch that. Yep. We, right? Our skin changes. A lot of things change as we get older. Hormones change. It's just right. a fact of life. And a lot of people seem to act like if they eat carnivore or whatever, they're going to turn 15 again. That's, you're going to feel good. Yes. You're going to be healthier um, when you adopt a more healthy lifestyle and eating uh, foods that are real and unprocessed and not full of sugar. Obviously, you're going to be a lot healthier. But is it a fix for everything? And are we going to live forever? No, things are still going to, you know, things are still going to malfunction. Yeah. No, it, it, you know, uh, I, I feel great. And I tell that to everybody all the time when we talk about diet. I feel awesome. I sleep has been really good right now. I, my body feels really good, better than it did when I was in my 30s, 100%, absolutely. But can I run as fast or lift as much as I can back then? No, right now I can't. And I don't, I don't know of, or, or if I would ever be to do that again, I don't know. So like Melody said, it's not, you know, if you change your diet and you got it all dialed in that you're going to be able to do what you did when you were 20 or 30, that's not the case. But other things start to be become more important. Like to me, feeling good, my joints feeling good, sleeping well and getting up in the morning and feeling rested and having my mind sharp is way more important than than being able to run a seven-minute mile for six miles. Right. And I think that I can say the same thing that, you know, like I said last week, feeling good and sleeping well become, they start trumping everything. Mm -hmm. And when I look at it as someone who wants to do carnivore and how I was getting a lot of messages from the female perspective of people doing carnivore and then having sleep issues and knowing that, okay, if you add, like for me, like I said last week, what worked was adding a little bit of honey and being okay with doing that, you know, versus saying, no, I'm carnivore right. and I'm not doing that. And then suffering the consequence of that, because maybe my issue is that at night, I don't have the type two muscle storage uh, for glycogen. And then also I am laying down worried about something and I get into that chronic state of stress and my body perceives it as that, you know, crisis. And I need that extra glucose in my system. And because I was stubborn and said, I'll be damned. I'm a carnivore. I'm not having any honey <laughs> now, or anything. Yeah. You now, know, you're right. You gotta, you gotta weigh the pros and cons. Yeah. And this gets into, uh, you know, being carnivore or keto or like we've used before ketovore. Um, you know, you've got plant-based diet, paleo, there's all these labels. Don't be, don't be stuck on those labels because, uh, you know, there are levels of, of carnivore, I guess, you know, because right. you can be the, you can be the raw meat carnivore. Then there's people out there that do that. They just eat raw meat. I, I'm not there. We're not there. <laughs> um, but you know, again, don't get so dogmatic in your process that you're, you're hurting yourself, you know, because you want to be in a label. Don't do that. Find things that work because you know, you can still be quote unquote carnivore and just be eating what we like to call like an animal based or a meat based diet. Right. And so, I want to I want to tie this in because the levels of carnivore, levels of keto, we know we know everybody does things a little bit different, and um, labels really don't matter. But I know that I know that a lot of people like them. 
Um, we know there's dirty keto, strict keto, um, high fat keto, high protein keto, all these different things. And same thing with carnivore. Um, you Like you said, you've got the raw meat. And then you've got the people who I would say I'm more of a meat centric. Right. You know, I'm meat centric, but I'll do what I need to do to be healthy, happy and rested. And so, for instance, Friday night, um, we babysat because when it's Valentine's Day and your grandparents, that's what happens. <laughs> and, and so Friday we were babysitting and five, our five-year-old and one-year-old grandson. And that was just like, it was so fun, but it was chaotic and I was exhausted. So that night when we went to bed, I was so tired. I mean, like at eight o'clock after they had left, I was yeah. just passing out on you're, the couch. You were out on the couch, totally. I, we were trying to finish a movie. I couldn't even stay awake. But um, then when we went to bed, I felt like somebody had dragged me out so sleepy. And then when we got to, you know, into bed to go to sleep, I was wide awake. I was so upset <laughs> by this. And I had to look back and say, okay, what's happening? You know, I was really sleepy. Something happened in my body that caused a stress response in between Maybe it was just getting ready for bed. I apparently I'm super sensitive, and but something happened in between there and bedtime, and I couldn't go to sleep. So you know what? Instead of being like, you know what? I'm just gonna fight it. I got up and I took a big spoonful of honey and a bunch of salt and I drank some water and some valerian root and I went to bed and I fell asleep. And rather than being dogmatic and saying, I can't do that because I'm a blasted carnivore, I went to my level of carnivore and said, I'm going to choose to do what's right for me versus what, you know, people's labels will dictate. Right. And, you know, always come back to you're eating a real food diet. Uh, a lot of people, if I know they're going to be set off by the word carnivore or keto and mm-hmm. they kind of ask what you eat, I just tell them I eat a real food diet. If it's real food, then I'm allowed to eat it. And that is meats, vegetables, fruits, you know, and nuts and seeds. Uh, now, do I eat vegetables, fruits, nuts, and seeds? No, I don't. For the most part, I don't. But, yeah. however, I will allow myself to do that if I if I want to. Right. Uh, just I feel the best sticking to a mainly like animal based meat based diet, but it's all real food. Uh, I got in a really uh, fun conversation with uh, someone over last week that they told me they were, they were eating a plant based diet. And I was like, well, why are you doing that? And they start going to the game changers movie and how they watch the game changers movie and, and all the stuff they saw. And I was like, you realize those people are just lying to you, right? Like what they're telling you is not true. But what I emphasized to that person was, that uh, a healthy plant-based diet is better than a sad American diet, the, the standard American diet. Yeah. Um, so I just emphasize to them, hey, just remember, if it's real food, you can eat it. But don't let people tell you you can't eat meat. Don't, don't let them scare you into that. Exactly. And, you know, I know that that game changers thing still comes up all the time. All the time. All I the can't time. Tell you how many people I've talked to that went to a plant-based diet because of that movie. What's funny is that I know all over the keto and carnivore space that people say this, and it is so true. If you eat a standard American diet, you are plant-based. Yes. You are already plant-based because like 70%, 60 to 70% of your food is coming from plants. You're already there. Um, you don't have to really like, (laughs) 
And that's you don't have I, to try so hard. And that's when I felt the worst is when I had I had a protein cereal, cashew-goline protein cereal for breakfast with probably soy or almond milk as my milk um, because that was healthy. Right. And then uh, lunch was usually some type of vegetable, some pasta, and a little bit of meat. Yeah. You know, and grilled then chicken, man. grilled chicken, and then uh, dinner was usually like maybe a Boca burger or something like that. You know, and that is probably when I felt the worst as far as my joints go. Yeah, and I, I have the same with inflammation. I have some very telltale signs in my body that tell me when I'm highly inflamed. And going on a when I did a vegan diet, I was the most inflamed I'd ever been. I was I was a toffee. I was. Thin on the outside and fat on the inside. <laughs> and I had tons of inflammation that you couldn't see outwardly, but I could feel. And, and I know what those signs are. It's, it has to deal with some scar tissue I have. Mm-hmm. But, um, and I can always tell. And I thought something was terribly wrong with me. But as soon as I went and started eating meat again, and, you know, especially eating the way we do now, that never flares up. And if it does, it's usually when I've had something like we've broken from our normal way of eating and we've eaten out and I've gotten some industrial seed oils in my food because of eating at a restaurant and that is one thing that causes inflammation or I've chosen to go and do something crazy like eat some pancakes. Right. Like normal pancakes. Like normal pancakes. Like, well, you know, processed pancakes is what I'll call them. Yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, we used to have, you used to make... Regular gluten-free pancakes for a yeah, while that I were did. that were delicious. I didn't have any problem with those, but I have the least amount of problem with carnivore waffles. Yes, those yeah. are the those are the best pancakes. Yeah, they that's what we had today. It was yep. so good. I earned it post run two miles. No, <laughs> <laughs> oh, the whole I earned my food. I earned my food. Oh, I'm man. so glad I don't live in that world anymore. I just eat. Just eat. Yeah. Whether whether I ran this morning or not, I was going to eat the same thing. Right. And that's exactly. the way that's where you really should be. All right. So as we bring this to a close, because we don't want to keep you all too much longer, um, our big things this week will be type two muscle fibers, how you can increase those, mm-hmm. what you can do. Obviously, if you are stuck and don't have any idea where to start, we are taking clients. We do have um The ability to build a program specifically for you, designed around what you use, have access to, and time you have, uh, and how many days a week you have available to work out, as well as meal plans that provide a grocery list, which you can order all your stuff. It creates and populates a grocery list where you can order from Instacart or Amazon Fresh, which is so convenient for some people. And all that goes right into your app that you get to download. So you've got an app that you can download. All your workouts are there. Your meal plans are there. It makes it extremely convenient. We're really excited about the whole app thing because it makes it not only makes it better for you, it makes it better for us. We're able to communicate faster and mm-hmm. easier and see what you're doing and get your feedback immediately. And then, you know, we can change up whatever we need to change up. And that way you're making your workout and your meal plan better. Yeah. And then um, that is available to any of our monthly clients. And if you want to get started on that, you can just go over to our website, set up a 15-minute consult, and we will talk about it, see what your goals are, see if your goals match our services, and then we'll get you going on your way. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. Uh, Again, reach out if you need anything. We're definitely here for you. Uh, But that wraps it up for this week. Uh, We appreciate you guys listening. We really hope you have a great day. 
Go out there, eat fat, and prosper. Thanks for listening to the Tactical Kitchen. Hit subscribe and leave us a review. Don't forget to send your questions to btkquestions at gmail.com and visit our website, thetacticalkitchen.com.